This is Jan Swift, and you're listening to Discover Lafayette, a podcast dedicated to the people and rich culture of Lafayette, the gateway to South Louisiana. I'd like to thank our sponsors who make our podcast possible. We take our podcast with the ongoing support of Raider and Jason Sikora, our sound engineer. Raider is a hands-on IT service provider that integrates all of your needs for advanced technical support, effective communication options, and cybersecurity. Raider's motto is, you just want it to work. We understand. Please visit RaiderSolutions.com for more information. Iberia Bank and First Horizon, who are now one bank. Two relationship-driven banks, both leaders in the industry, have officially joined forces. The combination of Iberia Bank and First Horizon creates a leading financial services company dedicated to enriching the lives of their clients, associates, and their communities. I'd also like to thank Lafayette General Health, who has joined the Oshner Health family and is now Oshner Lafayette General. As one health system, Oshner Lafayette General will provide expanded services and enhanced care from the familiar faces you already trust. Oshner Lafayette General means more resources to help solve healthcare's toughest problems, reinvesting in our communities, and being further committed to health and wellness. Oshner Lafayette General, together means more. Learn more today at togethermeansmore.org. Our guest is Wade Burzos, a professional trainer and business coach with EOS Worldwide. Wade is also a speaker, coach, and entrepreneur who is passionate about helping people and leadership teams. Wade is also well known as the sole survivor of the horrific plane crash that occurred shortly after departing the airport on December 28, 2019, when it was en route to the Peach Bowl in Atlanta. Wade Burzos's experience is one of the most private and yet public occurrences one can ever experience in life. I'm honored to welcome Wade to my home to Discover Lafayette to talk about your life and um, your experiences and let you share this in the way that makes sense for you. Wade, thank you for being here. Jan, I appreciate you having me. Um, what a pleasure. Yeah, well, first of all, don't, don't be honored that I'm here. I'm, I'm humbled that anybody would want to hear me talk about well, anything. You know? I do have to tell people, you're here with Katie, my rescue dog, who's 12 and a half, and Katie never, anybody that's been on the show, she never stops barking. She looked at you and she just sniffed you, and she's laying by my feet now, with just happy as a clam. She may not be the best judge of character. Well, <laughs> I think we she might, judges peace and, and calm, though. We might have to have her checked out for her judgment. Yeah. So, Wade, um, you're 39. Yeah. You're a dad, a husband, a coach. You're doing so much. Do you want to just jump in, and you want to talk first about what happened um, yeah. on that fateful day? Well, you know, you mentioned it, and, and you said it. Very succinctly, it's the, one of the best descriptions of it. It's one of the most private and public things that a person could experience. You know, you, you, you wake up one day and, and everything's normal um, and, and things are going well. But one of the things I've learned is that adversity doesn't set a calendar notice to you. It doesn't send out an invite. It doesn't send you a text message. There's no group me message for, hey. Heads up. Heads up. I'm coming. You know? Yeah. Tell um, everybody you love them. Exactly. Uh, and so for me... It, it, you know, I woke up December 28th, 2019. It was just another normal day. Uh, my mom was coming over the next day. Um, 
we had a brisket in the in the uh, fridge, marinating for her when she came. We we're gonna do our Christmas mm-hmm. celebration. Holidays. Yeah, just a, a normal day. We we're getting a big goal setter. I'd spent the entire day before figuring out what my goals were gonna be personally and professionally for the next year. Uh, the business that I helped run was getting ready for our greatest year ever. And and on that day, I was going on a flight um, with one of my best friends. And something that we talked about for 10 years. You get an opportunity to go watch LSU the play Tigers. a road game. Oh, yeah. God. We were in Atlanta. Yeah. I was already in Atlanta, ready for the Peach Bowl. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was it a was great so day. Exciting. Right? Everybody's so excited. Yeah. Um, I had friends there, too. And they were waiting for us to get mm-hmm. there. And, and, and then all of a sudden, you, know, you go from the highest of highs. And less than a minute later, I'm sitting in the middle of a field fighting for my life, not sure if I'll even, when I'll, which one of my breaths is going to be my last, you know? Was it, it really that, that quick? quick? Like it, it was that, that quick. quick after takeoff? The whole flight lasted 48 seconds. Oh my God. So in less than a minute, um, think about, think about all the things that you can accomplish in less than a minute, right? I mean, it, it takes, at one point I'd done the research, uh, when I got out of the hospital, just reflecting on it. I think it takes something like 16 seconds to send the average email, Five seconds is an average text. I mean, your average phone call lasts less than two minutes. And so when you put put it into that context, you know, in, in just barely enough time to send a couple of messages to someone, your life can flip on top of its head and be completely changed. What was it like in the plane? The, it was, you, you got to imagine everything started out. We were, you know, as excited as we could be. Mm-hmm. I'm knee to knee with my best friend. I mean, that was like probably the coolest day. Just yeah. Joe Burrow, right? Yeah, I mean, like, we, we I mean, knew we knew LSU was going to win. Yeah, and it's college football playoff, and, and we hadn't been there, and so mm-hmm. here you are. You need to knee with your best friend, and everybody's excited and happy to be there. Um, we were just pumped up, man, and, and you're, you know, <laughs> they, they were ribbing me because I forgot the cards. We were supposed to play Bure Oh, on the way there, and how I dare forgot. You? I forgot the cards, <laughs> and so we couldn't we couldn't play cards, but. And then next thing you know, it's 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 completely different. And you know, I was completely alone, and I was burned on my whole body, strapped into a seat, um, by myself, trying to figure out how I was going to get out. And you know, it's it's in that moment, whenever that happens, that all of those experiences that you have in life become very real and very. You start to separate what's important and what's not. I read in other interviews you've done that there was really no indication that there was any problem. You you didn't know until you crashed that there was an issue. Yeah, it was it was a It was just too quick, I guess. It just, yeah, it just happens really quick. But you felt like you were ascending. Yeah. I mean, I guess it just it's a feeling of force. It's yeah. probably what we all know that feeling. Yeah, that takeoff. You just you feel like you're on top of the world and then you're not. And you had your seatbelt on. Yes. Did that save your life? I don't know. I don't know. Um, we. I think about most people are so casual on these private flights. You know. Yeah. They always tell you to. Well, like up. I was always the guy that I was always the guy that read the safety briefings. Mm-hmm. Whenever, whenever I, I was in, I was the nerd. You know, well, I worked offshore. Yeah. I worked offshore for years. I'd, I'd sit on the helicopter and I'd read the safety briefings and. But you have take to know a, that. Take a, a flight that read yeah. that stuff. Um, but you were strapped in, and. Jan, I'll tell you this. I. I think there have been a lot of people who've tried to put our human minds to work to figure out how exactly I saved, I was saved, and you can't. 
Um, so I don't know if it was a seatbelt. I don't know what it was. God just had a different plan for me that day. And, mm-hmm. and he decided that, he decided in my opinion that day he was going to work six miracles. Six. So one, we all know about because I'm still here and people can touch me. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm a real human, right? Like you said, joke in the hospital, I'm a real boy. Yeah. Um, but for those who believe, we also believe that five people had the opportunity to see their maker that day. And, and that was just the start of his miracles, right? So he, he kept me here, I think, for the purpose of doing more work. Now, why he chose me, God only knows. Like, I, I would have told him that was a terrible decision. But because of what I experienced, um, there were a lot of people who, who came to know Christ who didn't know him before. Um, I had a friend who told me in the hospital, he said, wait, I haven't, I haven't said three Hail Marys in my life. And he said, for the last two months, I've been on my knees with a nun saying a rosary every day. Oh, um, you had so many people yeah, praying I mean, for you. And that's the thing. Like when you have, I'll never forget, I was sitting, uh, sitting in the hospital room and uh, Dr. Barrios, who's one of the, the most fantastic men you'll ever meet. And he's just a, an amazing doctor. And they run such a great burn unit there. And they, they experience a lot there. And so he's sitting there. They have there. to be strong, huh? Yeah. And, but my point is they're really good at what they do, and they've seen a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And so he's sitting across from me one day, and, and he, he looks at me, and I'm getting ready to go to rehab, the inpatient rehab. And he says, how do you explain this? You know. And my wife's sitting on the side of me, and I, I said, well, you know, I work out three times a week. And, um, you know, I have a strong immune system because when my wife gets sick, I don't even get sick. And my wife looks at me like I'm crazy. Yeah. And she like says, that's not what he's talking yeah. about. She's like, yeah. it's the prayers. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow. Yeah. I never, I cannot believe that I'm that conceited to not see that. But yes, when you have hundreds of thousands of people praying for you, what can't you accomplish? Right. Right. And you know, we, we limit, we limit ourselves so much because we don't, we don't allow God to do the work that he wants to do through us. Yeah. Obviously he was with you. You, you kept your wits about you. You unbuckled yourself, mm-hmm. and you got out of that plane, and it was on fire. Yeah. I mean, God was with you every step of the way. Yeah, there was the guardian angels doing work that day, you know. Uh, you know, get out of the plane and, and start walking out, and, and even then— Were you able to walk? I mean, were you— Yeah, I, walk, I walked out of the plane. Um, didn't make it far. I felt like I walked a mile, but I don't think it was very far. And then two men came running up and helped me up. Just from the road, just somebody. Yeah, some by. some bystanders. Um, I think one of them lived nearby, and the other guy happened to be passing, saw what happened, and and they bravely came out there and, and helped me brave. to my feet. Yeah, With all the yeah, could have been an explosion. Yeah, they didn't know what they were walking into. Right, but they helped me to my feet, and it was the first moment that I realized that I wasn't completely alone, mm-hmm. uh, and that we there was hope. Yeah, and, and I remember never forget how, like they helped me up to my feet, and as I was walking away, there was this. This grace that came over me, this peace. I was like, I'm going to be okay. And this is going to be fine. Did you stay in Lafayette? Like, I don't really know about your treatment. Were you treated solely here in Lafayette? Yeah. Um, you went straight to the burn unit, I guess? Or how does that work? Yeah, so they, you know, you're sitting there on the scene of the accident. It's absolute chaos. There are people everywhere um, trying to figure out what's going on. And they load me into an ambulance. And I remember while they were loading me up into the ambulance... Uh, I didn't even know that there was a burn unit in Lafayette. Yeah, I didn't either. Yeah. Um, 
And so as they're loading me up, though, I knew this. There was an opportunity for me to go to a place called Our Lady of Lords, and I knew what Our Lady did in Lords, France, and I was like, "That's where I want to go." Um, and fortunately, that's where they, they took me. And so, yeah, I walk in. I didn't walk in. I'm sorry. They roll me in um, to the hospital there in Lafayette, and as they're rolling me in, the, they tell me that we're gonna have to put you into a coma. Right. I was thinking we're the pain must you. have been like just the more aware you became, it must have gotten. Oh, every worse. second that went by, I just continued just, to get worse and worse. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so they, they tell me they're going to put me into They're going to sedate me. And I tell them, I tried to tell them they couldn't do it until I talked to my wife. And they said, you don't understand. We, it's now. And so I made You didn't that, get to call her? I called her from the field. Oh, you um, did? Yeah. I called her from the field. I borrowed somebody's phone. Oh, my God. Um, oh. <laughs> called her and told her I was in a plane crash, but not to worry that I was going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And then I was fine. Um, and poor baby, she believed me. She was in church point? She was at home, yeah. She yeah. was at home with the kids. Uh-huh. And so she packs up an, an overnight bag because she thinks they're going to put a Band-Aid on me and send me home. And then she gets to the hospital. And they tell her, Wade's going to be here if he makes it for at least three months. And aloe vera wasn't going to fix this. Yeah, aloe vera so. and a Band-Aid's yeah. not, not fixing this. Um, and they started to lay it out. To her and, and then to my, my kids, that, you know, we need to be prepared that he might not make it. And statistically speaking, there was a better chance that I wouldn't make it than I would. And what does it do to the body? What, what, what happened when you were burned? Like you were telling me before we started taping your joints, you know, weather changes are tough. But what, what happens to the body so when it's burned like that, when when you're burned extensively like I am, essentially your body has to regen- start regenerating tissue for your entire body, and so immediately there, I don't have anything on the outside of my my body to protect my organs. Right, your skin's an organ; it protects right. you. So there was on seventy five percent of my body there was no skin, and so immediately it's just protecting against germs and those types of things and you lose fluid and, and it's just all of that. Um, you didn't hit your head. Like you were upside down, but you didn't like, do you I know hit, if you banged your head? You, oh, I hit everything. You hit everything? Yeah, I'm hit sorry, it. I don't know all that, but I just, I knew yeah. the burns were the Yeah, so the, the burns, but my, my but shoulder. you hit everything. My shoulder was completely dislocated and and wow. joints were torn and broken and I had cuts on my head and stuff like that. It hit everything. So, I mean, you, you get there and they have to go to work to start trying to, to keep you alive, Stabilize. basically, and yeah. stabilizing. So, so it's in, you know, I laugh about it today, but you know, at one point I was three hundred and seventy-five pounds in the hospital. Just fluids. Because they were pumping me with so much fluid. Oh my god! And, and they had and you're feeding a too. Fit guy. Yeah, like. They were feeding me with with a feeding. There was twelve thousand calories a day or something. Do you so remember any of that? Vaguely, I don't remember that part. I remember the feeding tube. That was uh-huh. that was something that I wanted to. But it worked. I wanted to get out as soon as yeah. I could. Wow. Um, but no, you, you get in there and they're like, "Hey, Dad might not come home. He's gonna be here for three months. You guys need to get prepared for the worst. It's it's a tough situation." And yeah. six children. Yeah. To explain that too. Yeah. The, the, the interesting thing is, we talked about. I called my wife from the the field. The reason I did that is because as it became evident to me that I certainly was not, there were some people who were not going to make it, right? Um, I didn't want social media to tell my family that I was exactly. one that didn't make it. Because people don't even think yeah. that that's private. Yeah, and so it was important for me to, number one, she knew I was okay, 
And number two, that she believed that I was okay. Mm -hmm. And your voice. Yeah. I'm sure that's, you know, that's what she needed. Yeah. She needed to know that I was okay. Um, and I wanted as many people to know that I was okay as possible so they wouldn't give up on me. Yeah. Um, and I was, it was able, I was able to crystallize it so quickly in my mind because I keep a picture of my family on my bathroom window, bathroom mirror, excuse me. And I, and I, I look at it every day. And, and when that plane stopped and I was sitting there strapped to that seat with all the fire around me and I still couldn't figure out how I was going to get out of there with a, with a busted up arm, I saw the picture of my family. And, and I remember sitting there on the side of the, the road waiting for the, the ambulance to get there and just telling myself, I'm not dying today. I got to get home to my family. Not dying today. I got to get home to my family. So when we, we get in those situations, far too often we wait until we're in a crisis to start figuring out why our lives are important and what it is that we're working towards. Mm -hmm. and, and I knew exactly what mine was right away. I've got to get better because I got to get home to my family. And it wasn't good enough for me just to survive the plane crash and then survive the hospital. I had to do it well enough so that someday I could look at my son whenever he's going through something really hard and say, you can do this. You can do it. Because I, I've shown you this yeah. is the way that we go through adversity. Mm -hmm. And so with that, you know, going to the hospital, and I'm supposed to be there for three months and they're not sure if I'm going to make it. And you start, you begin a, a process of, of getting better. And it's, it's a long process. And frankly, you can't see your way to the end of it. Were there surgeries? Uh, I think I'm at 26 now, 26 surgeries. So at that time, it was something like twice a week I was going oh to the surgery. Oh, my gosh. And so you're doing all this stuff. And, and Jan, people look at me saying it's hard to imagine, but there was a time where I was a complete vegetable wrapped from head to toe, and, and I couldn't pick up my arms or my head. I couldn't do anything for myself. And when I was at, I was at that moment, I couldn't imagine that I would ever be able to do anything again. So I remember they had a guy named Steve come in and visit me. And he talked to me about how he was a burn victim, burn survivor. And he talked to me about how when he went home, he tried to pour himself a cup of coffee and he was too weak. And it took him two hands to pour a cup of coffee. And when he walked out, all I could think about is, are you not paying attention? I'm never going to touch a cup of coffee again. I can't move my hands. I can't pick up my head. There's no way I can get there. But he knew you could. Maybe he was trying to yeah, tell you. That's exactly why he was there, but I still yeah. couldn't see it. Right. But here's the thing. Is that thing. where your mind was? Were that's you, exactly where I was. Were at. you not wallowing, but it wasn't, I think anybody would be like, I, I don't believe yeah, this happened. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I don't, yeah, wallowing is not the right word, but I was just, when you look at the facts in front of you, sometimes like the mountain's too high to climb. Yeah, I'm hurt. Like, I'm yeah. hurt and I'm going to be hurt. Yeah, for there's a long no way time. I'm getting there. Yeah. But here's the thing we're going to find ourselves in that situation a lot in life. You don't have to go through a plane crash to get into the situations where you look around and you're like, I can't get there. I mean, we know more than half of marriages fail in our country. Because people get to that spot and they can't see their way to the other end. Mm. But it's when we commit to embracing the suffering, right? Embracing it and doing it with grace and committing to getting to the other side that we find that we're able to accomplish things that we never imagined were possible. And so for me, it was just a day-to-day, hour-to-hour, minute-to-minute commitment that I'm not going to do this. 
Uh, I'm not going to sit here in this bed for the rest of my life. I will get back. Mm-hmm. And, and just taking that day by day and surrendering the results. I was about to ask you, surrender seems to be like to get to that point where you surrender so that you can move through. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm, I'm giving it to God. I'm giving yeah. it, my body's going to heal, but I have to surrender because today I'm not walking, but tomorrow, yeah, next week, perhaps. Yeah, now I'll be honest yeah. with you. Eight years ago, if this crash happens, I don't make it out of the field. Eight years ago? Yeah. Why? Because I wasn't prepared. I wasn't. You were very young then. You were what, late 20s? Uh, yeah, about 31. Mm-hmm. But I hadn't been through enough in my life yet to prepare me mentally, physically, and spiritually what was going to happen. You see, at, at that point, and, and I know that because I went through some other adversity and I didn't handle it well. I didn't know how to handle it yet. I didn't know how to surrender. I used to think eight, 10 years ago, I used to think that I wanted to be Superman. Yeah, direct the show. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I wanted to have, I, when I did my dream boards, instead of a picture of, of my family or a picture of making it to heaven, I'd put a picture of Superman in the middle because I wanted my family to think that yeah. I was Superman. And I didn't know how to give it up and surrender, and I didn't know how to suffer well. I didn't understand what, what it meant to offer up your sufferings as a prayer for somebody else. Right. Um, and so having gone through those things, though, and, and experienced some very serious illnesses and family issues and having to learn that I'm not in control, and the only thing that I can control is my attitude my effort, mm-hmm. and and that I had to surrender the results to God. And, and I would pray often, God, if, if you can take this from me, take it. But if you, if you can't, if it's not your will, mm-hmm. I want to give it up for somebody else. Thy will be done yeah. is, I've been through that too. You know, we've all had yeah. things. But when you realize that thy will be done, because you might want something to happen, but you can't control it. No, you. But have once no you say that, then you can just at least have peace. Yeah, and it it was it was kind of ironic. I think God has a, a unique sense of humor. So one of the first things that they they told me, somebody walked in, one of the nurses. Once I was lucid enough to to have conversations, was they walked in, they said, "Oh, look, it's Superman." Oh no. <laughs> Now, you got to imagine. Where's that dream board? Huh? Yeah, you got to imagine this guy had a dream board. He wanted to be Superman and he couldn't figure out how to do it. Instead, mm-hmm. he screwed up his life. He screwed up his marriages. His, he wasn't being a good dad. He, he was messing up at work and just wasn't a happy person, right? And was at, it was the weakest. I was the weakest I'd ever been in my life from a, as, as far as a, just being a man, what a real man is, when I wanted to be Superman. And then through learning to surrender, I found myself at a point where I was basically a vegetable and had no control or power over what happened to me anymore. This person who was once proud and self-sufficient and wanted to do everything, didn't want anybody to help me do anything. I was in a situation where I couldn't brush my own teeth. I couldn't feed myself. I couldn't do anything. And it was in that moment that God said, I'm going to make you do something that nobody thought was possible. You're going to do the impossible. And it was. I thought it was funny that this that's, person comes in and calls me Superman in that that's moment. That's true power. You know? Yeah, that's true power. And when you give it up, man, when God, when we, yeah. we, we we limit, we limit what he's what he's capable of doing for us because we 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 only we look at God through a human lens, right? And right. so 
we do limit God. We yeah. limit Him in our own minds, but yet He's there working. Yeah, and you know, yeah. look, we we find ourselves in positions in business and in, in in relationships and in athletics and whatever it is, but we're not getting the results that we want, so we get frustrated and, and we get tied up, or we look at something and say, "Well, that can never happen here," and that's us limiting what he can do because you've all heard it your mom will tell you my, my mom told me grandmother told me baby god doesn't give you anything you can't handle that's the biggest lie in the history of humanity <laughs> right he's that's god's go-to move is he gives us stuff that we can't handle he gave adam and eve paradise eternal paradise and they couldn't handle it right they screwed up right from the beginning mm-hmm. And so throughout our lives, God has continuously given us things that we can't handle, but there's a, a, a backup piece to that. There's a comma at the end of that sentence. God gives you all kinds of stuff that you can't handle, but God doesn't give you anything that you can't handle through Him. Right. And when you're willing to give it up and work, let Him do His work, He can accomplish anything. When you were in the hospital, Wade, as you were healing... Are these the thoughts you were having? Was it a gradual? I know you were yeah. sedated a lot, but as you were becoming yourself again, yeah. you know, as far as being clear in your mind, did you get this then? Like you healed really fast. You healed fast compared to what anybody thought. Yeah, it was the the recovery in and of itself was miraculous. Um, like I said, you, earlier, you look fine. Like I, it's just amazing to me that you yeah, were burned. It's crazy. I mean, um, you look. You look fine. So I was supposed to be in the hospital for 90 days, and I walked out in 52. Um, when, you, when you're dealing with burns, um, and there's a, there's a lady right now in the burn unit I just went and, and visited with last week, and, and she's, she's living through this. When you, when you are burned and they go in there and they do skin grafts and those types of things, there's not a it's it's not a very high success. It's not that's maybe not the right way to say it. It's not a hundred percent success rate. Mm-hmm. That's why you have to have so many. Yeah. Right? It's almost unheard of. The body they go in there that. and 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 everything takes. Mm-hmm. And so when I would go in the surgery, they would tell my family that we're going to go do this. It's basically going to be two steps forward, one step back. Um, we're going to find all these things wrong, but don't worry, it's normal, and then we're going to fix it. Well, they would go in and, and they would put me under and then they'd start doing the work and they would come out and tell my, my wife and they'd say, hey, everything that we said was going to be wrong was not wrong. Every one of the graphs took. So 100% of my graphs took the first time, which is unheard of. But you still had over 20 surgeries. I like, still had over 20 surgeries, yeah. yeah. And so no, oh, that, that in and of itself is a miracle. But my, you asked about my mindset going through that. I was blessed right from the beginning, both through the what I'd experienced um, and having good mentors and coaches throughout my life teach me that mindset was so important. Mm-hmm. Important. Um, my wife would tell you that I wasn't always 100% positive days because that's impossible. But for the most part, I was very keen on making sure that I stayed positive mm-hmm. and that I offered it up to God as much as possible. My dad um, lost both his legs. He it was a stroke, he, diabetic, but he, both his legs were amputated and heart you know, everything you can have that goes wrong in his 60s. And I, I shouldn't be talking about it here, but his mindset was to give up. Mm-hmm. And he did. And it was horrible. Yeah. I mean, he held on for over two and a half years. But it seems like your mindset is what makes or break these recoveries. 
Absolutely. And, and, uh, and those around you too, it's hard on the family. I can only imagine how uplifting that must have been to your family that you were positive. Yeah. Because you could have just given up. I mean, think about it. Yeah. So many people, like you said, even you might have given up when you were younger. Yeah. You know, I, that was a gift you gave everybody. Yeah. I don't, I don't know about that. I was given a lot of gifts. And one of the first gifts I was given, I tell people all the time, is, is my privilege was in that I had a dad who cared about me. And my dad was far from perfect. And he's still, I'm fortunate I still have him. Um, but one of the things he taught me at a young age was that can't's not in the dictionary. Oh, yeah? And he refused to let me say the word can't. And so I lived that way uh, before the crash. And certainly as I was going through that, I didn't have to have somebody teach me how to have a warrior's mentality. My dad had already done it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I was fortunate that I had, had guys like Von Crisp and, and another guy named Carl Scheibel, um, one a good friend of mine. Unfortunately, we lost him too. Um, and, you know, Bob, guys like Bob Miller and probably a hundred other. Love Bob Miller. Oh my gosh. A hundred other coaches <laughs> that I'll, I'll probably forget <laughs> and they're all going to send me texts when they hear this. Mm-hmm but who taught me the importance of mindset and, and what you can do whenever you control your mind. And so we did things in the hospital room, like um, I refused to let them call me a, a burn victim. I was a burn survivor. There's no victims, right? People, especially in today's society, and I see it with my six kids and the, the 400 and something kids we have in our youth sports program, people are quick to fall on, on, on victimhood and, and say, woe is me. I've always found it more beneficial to have a, a, a mindset of if you put a wall in front of me, I'm going to run through it. It's just up to you if you want to follow me, if you want to stay on the other side of the wall and get run over. Right. And so I was not going to be a victim in the hospital. I was a burn survivor. And my wife, God bless her, <laughs> even before the crash, she was going straight to heaven just for putting up with me. <laughs> but she put up a sign in the room, no, only positive thoughts allowed. So there was no crying in the room. There was no poor Wade. No, we're going to get through this. It's going to be great. And when you do that, I don't know, it may or may not have worked, but I think that whenever you do that and you show people that you're willing to put forth the effort, they're willing to, they're just more engaged. Mm-hmm. And that was important. I wanted those nurses to know, don't ever give up on me. I'm, I'm going to fight through this thing through the yeah. end. And you were before COVID Thank and God. you got out in time. Think about that. I, oh my gosh, with all the infection and your body being so vulnerable, you, you really, that, your timing was impeccable. And I can't imagine, there are a lot of people who um, were burned during the time of COVID, severely burned, and these people were left in that hospital by themselves. And I can't imagine. There's no way I would have I would have been able to, to deal with not being able to see my family. You got out right in time, right? Yeah, I knew where March. My wife, I knew where my wife was even when I was in a coma, mm-hmm. right? And, and I would come out of surgery, and I had to know where she was at all times. She was, she was the with, with my mind going absolutely crazy. She was the thing that kept me centered and focused. And all right, it's going to be okay. So I can't imagine. And yeah, when we talk about COVID, sometimes I'm not sure, so sure I didn't go through a wormhole because you know everything was normal one day, and then now it's, it's like the whole world is is it's completely so changed. Yeah, you know, in, in ways that I never imagined it could change. I so. know. What a time. Yeah. Gosh. It is. I want to say this though. Yeah, I want you to say everything you want to say. I'm, I'm loving every moment what a, of this. What a time is right, but we got to be careful. There, like I mentioned earlier, eight years ago I wasn't ready, and it was a lot of tough times that made me ready. I, I don't, 
I don't sky scream bad situations anymore. I thank God every day for the tough situations I'm put into. Because I know that whenever we're going through something hard, he's just preparing us for the next thing. And so, yeah, this is, this is a crazy time to be alive, and I can't wrap my head around anything that's going on today. But I am confident that we're going to make it through all right as long as we don't give up towards getting yeah. through the other side. And love one another. Exactly. It's got to be about love. Exactly. Before we take a little break, because I want to let you talk about your current endeavor and mm-hmm. how your life has changed. Um, how has this changed you? Like, are you, will you fly again? Are you, has it changed your day-to-day life as far as like how much you exercise, your friends? Like, how, how are you different now? It has changed virtually everything in my life. Um, I say virtually because I wish I could tell you that I was like this Zen master who You're nothing, not. who nothing. I'm telling bothered. you, you must be because Katie's. Yeah, calm well, and, like, you know, we're gonna take a picture. This is a Katie. miracle. My, my my wife and especially <laughs> my daughters will tell you that I'm still not very patient <laughs> in, in ways that I should. Um, it's changed a lot of things physically. Um, the different different routines that I have to go through. There's just different expectations. Um, I had to change the way I sleep, right? Right, right shoulder doesn't work anymore. Um, so I had to figure out different ways to do all that stuff. Um, you sleep okay though? Do you have nightmares? Like, do you sleep well? Yeah, there's December's always bad, especially. But there's there's stuff that goes with that. The, um, but I'll, I'll tell you probably one of the biggest ways that's changed my life and is I, I used to always say I'm gonna a lot. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do that. And I, I just don't anymore um i don't wait anymore i was when i was 36 i thought i was just about halfway over with my life and then i almost died and so now i I try to live my life my wife thinks it's crazy but i try to live my life like 48 seconds at a time and it doesn't mean that i throw reckless abandon out there and we just go out and we're i hate the term yolo like you only live once that's not what what i'm talking about what i'm talking about is the things that we, this life is very short. And, and this is not the be all end all. So, but while I'm here, I'm gonna go ahead and live it to the best of my ability. No, I, I'm, I'm not flying anymore. Um, I don't like it much anyway. Yeah, it's, it, I don't, here's the thing, I don't really feel the need to travel very far anymore. It's recentered some priorities for mm-hmm. me in life and spending time with my family take precedent over business and money and all those things. Um, I don't fear death at all, at all. Um, getting out of this world and, and, and dying is not the worst thing that could happen to you here. Um, I'm, I'm a firm believer in that. Um, but it's not the dying that, that makes me not want to fly. It's the crashing. There's just a, yeah. I don't want to have to experience that again. Even if I go through it and die, um, that's not an experience that, that I'm, I'm ready to deal with for something that's really not necessary for me anymore. I don't need mm-hmm. to go anywhere. So. Mm-hmm. No, it's, it's changed life in a lot of ways. Um, I, I, I pray every day that I learn something from it and figure out a way to, to be a better person from it. Right. I'd like to pause and reflect back on an interview we did with Faye Harris. Faye has a lot in common with Wade in that she survived a terrible accident. Faye was on I-10 when a crane inexplicably fell in her car 
it nearly killed her, but it landed in her lap. And if it had been just an inch or two closer to her head, she, she'd be gone. Faye also credits her faith in God for giving her the strength to come back strong from the accident. You can hear Faye Harris's interview, along with Wade Burzos and many others, at discoverlafayette.net. Let's take a listen. It's not like you were somebody that was negative before and now you've changed. I mean, has it, has it changed you? Do you feel differently about life? having survived those? Um, you know, without me getting to, uh, you know, my, I'm very spiritual. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't have gotten through out through this without God. Um, it's changed me. It, I think it's brought me closer to God, my relationship with God. And, um, but it, it just has made me see how, you know how we say life is short? It really is. It, it's not just a saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like these people in the plane crash. Yeah. You know, I, I, I always did, but I'm more deliberately now try to live each day. Like mm-hmm. it's, you never know. It's, it could be your last. And I, I don't mean to be morbid about You just never it. know, though. No, it's you true. don't. You don't. Yeah. So, But to know. appreciate that, mm-hmm. to, to understand it like you do, mm-hmm. is different than most of us mm-hmm. that maybe have had accidents, but yeah. a broken arm here or there, but not... Um, life-threatening yeah. injuries. My bucket list, I have things on my bucket list that I want to do, and I'm going to do them. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not waiting until, you know, I always say, well, let me wait until I do this or do that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do them, you know. Just do do things. Just life is precious. Welcome back to Discover Lafayette. We're here with Wade Burzos. Um, Wade is a professional trainer and business coach with EOS Worldwide. And we've been talking about an event that changed his life. But I'd like to hear now, if we can, about what you're doing. I know that you you found new purpose. You you went back to work at Global Data Systems, mm-hmm. right, after mm-hmm. you recovered. What, um, you know, what, what's your journey been like? Yeah, so, you know, immediately I, I wanted to get back and, and go see those people again as soon as possible and... and Thankfully, I was able to do that and and get back and because there were some amazing people at that place and and man they they loved us through the worst of the worst times right it's hell on earth and I loved them just as much. Um, it was hard to get back and 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 be there you know and I was kind of at a point and I mentioned a moment ago that. I used to say I'm gonna a lot. And so for me, it was kind of a, a transitionary period. I'm just feeling like it, it's not not the right situation. And so I come home one day and tell my wife, you know, listen. Actually, the turning point for me was I listened to a Tony Robo Show podcast. Oh, really? Um, what a great guy he was. I was driving to go visit my mom one day and, and help her. Uh, she had some stuff going on. And as I'm driving back, there's nothing to listen to. Uh, she lives out in the middle of nowhere, and so I found a podcast uh, that, that he had done, and he talked about how early on in his coaching career, he almost gave up coaching to go be a, a sales manager. And I remember when I was a kid, that's all I wanted to do is be a coach. And here I was, I was leading a sales team. Mm-hmm. And he talked about how God gives you gifts, and, and it's our job to make sure that we use those gifts when he gives them to us. And it just deeply impacted me. I felt like it was one of those moments where God was whispering to me, saying, hey, this is where I need you. And, and so with that, I'm, 
uh, came home and told my wife, look, we're, we're starting two businesses. <laughs> uh, it was, you know, right around, right around Christmas time. So we're starting two businesses. We're going to uh, start a youth sports organization. Um, and, and we're going to start an EOS implementing uh, practice. And, and I started, uh, went in and told the folks at GDS and started that business. So it was, it was an amazing time because it really was, I had finished a bunch of projects at GDS that I, I absolutely knew that I wanted to get done. This was a year after the accident. A year after the accident, yeah. yeah. That's, yeah. I, I wanted to hand off to them a better situation than I, than I started with. And I felt like I finished up what I needed to do to do that. And the two opportunities that I was looking at, starting the youth baseball organization and starting an EOS um, uh, practice really fit what I be, what my core focus as a person is, right? So my, my passion is helping people accomplish becoming their best person, right? Being their very best. And I did that as a sales leader and it was what got me really excited. And I really want, I like to fix not just broken stuff, but th- I like to make things better. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it gave me an opportunity to do that. I love sports. And, and I saw firsthand whenever we brought EOS in at GDS, how we went from a company that was kind of chugging along, barely breaking even, barely, not breaking even, barely making a profit, but it was really hard. And it was a lot of transitions going on in the market at the time. Mm-hmm. It felt like there were eight to 10, maybe 12 people producing most of the work. Everything was chaos. It was just a big struggle. And we were fortunate. We, we met a guy named Jeff Fenton from here in Lafayette. Hello, Jeff. Yeah. He came in. He's and the best. Huh? He's awesome. And he introduced the EOS to us. I didn't realize he was doing that. Oh, yeah. I met him through Dale Carnegie. Oh, he's one of the best. Yeah. He's one he's of the so best. He's so inspirational. Oh, yeah. And so within three years, we turned that business around, the, the culture and the profitability of business. And it kind of prepared us. You know, we were getting ready to have our best year. And then the accident happens. We lose three-fifths of our leadership team overnight. And the business just keeps chugging along. And so when I started thinking about what do I want to do next, it fit my core focus, and I absolutely felt like I was mm-hmm. called to go and share how it helped us with other people. So EOS is Entrepreneurial Operating System. Correct. I had to look that up. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah a lot of people, and you start throwing a lot of acronyms out there, right? Yeah. EOS, EOS, GDS, GDS, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it gets, but it gets I mean, a, it's about taking the team, as you said, and helping the leaders learn. I guess there's six key components, but it's about having your mission, right? Yeah, yeah. So we, we have everybody in line. Yeah, we focus on, on, on three things. It's vision, traction, and healthy. So vision from the standpoint of getting the leadership team 100% on the same page with where they're going and how they're going to get there. Traction is, account, uh, is instilling accountability and discipline. So they're constantly doing things they need to do to accomplish the vision. Mm-hmm. And healthy is creating a cohesive team where everybody's on the same page and they enjoy working together. Because, I mean, you know from your experience, most of the time, even great teams are just not on the same page. Right, right. And so work with those teams, get them there, and you drive it through the rest of the company. And when you can get the whole company over time on the same page of where you're going, how you're going to get there, high level of accountability and discipline, mm-hmm. and a bunch of people that just enjoy working together, you can move mountains. So no more I'm going to do something. It's We're doing it. No, we're doing it now. Yeah. We're doing it now. So it's, it's kind of funny. We started the, started the youth baseball organization. And this is, um, let's see, Louisiana Bucks baseball. Yeah, yeah we actually changed it and to Church Point. Yeah, we actually changed it to Acadiana Bucks Youth Uh-oh. Sports recently because we started the baseball organization. It was a wild success. Bucks, yeah. And um, and the town came to us and asked us to take over football, so we expanded. We did football, um, and who knows? Who knows what else is down the road? But 
that that has been a, a passion of mine for years. You know, so you love coaching. I love coaching, and what really turned the, what really it would have been really easy for me to take my son loves baseball. It'd been really easy for us to take eleven other kids and go start our own little select mm-hmm. baseball team. But the thing that that really drove me to do is Church Point had a, had a gap. You know, the the recreation department there was dead. And two years ago, two or three years ago, I coached a little all-star team while my son was playing. And mm-hmm. they had 12 boys on the team, and six of them didn't have men in their lives at all. Oh. You know? Yeah. And so it was an opportunity for us to, to try to give back to the community that did so much for us when we needed it. And to try to help these other young boys have a male influence in their life that was positive, taught them how to be a real man, mm-hmm. introduced them to God through sports and those yeah. things. So. It's been a it, it's been a wild success. God's blessed the program. He's continued to bless us through it. Mm-hmm. It's been super exciting. You're our local Ted Lasso. That's <laughs> do, you like, do you like that show? Man, have so you seen it? I don't. I haven't seen it, but oh, I've heard so no. much about them. You've got to watch it. Apple TV, baby. Yeah, it's five dollars a month. I mean, come on. And so that's the crazy thing. We have it. We you haven't seen it with six kids. There's not a lot of time to, to watch. And there TV. is a lot of cursing. You really can't let yeah. them sit. So down we got to let them go to bed. And I'm yeah. an old man. I'm telling you though. It's like 20, 25 minutes. It's so good. Everybody everybody loves it. And but that's so you. I keep saying I want to watch it. That's his focus is winning is important, but the yeah. most important thing is building character. Yeah. Well, the, the real great coaches are the ones that do that, right? Mm-hmm. And and so, um, as a matter of fact, I'm in the process of reading Tony Robichaud's new book, uh, The Real Game, it's called. And he talks about, uh, you know, how, how he changed – from a coach you worried about baseball to teaching men about God wow. through baseball. Yeah. Coach Deggs is an, an amazing treasure that we have right here in Lafayette, another great guy mm-hmm. who who looks to in, to build men as opposed to building baseball players. Mm-hmm. And look, I, I think you can look across the spectrum in uh we'll start with sports. But there are a lot of people who you can always tell when when their life gets out of control, it's rarely the sport that gets them in trouble. It's usually who they are as a man or a woman who gets them in trouble. Yeah. And so we should be spending more time focusing on how to how to build better men and, and, and better women because very few of them are going to go become professionals, right? Most of them are going to have to go and, and get a job and raise a family, though. And so right. why shouldn't we spend more time doing that? And while life is short, the days can be long oh, if yeah. you're not happy. Yeah. And if you're like your own worst enemy. Exactly. You know, why didn't I do this? How could I do that? Or how could they do that to me? Yeah. That's a lot of wasted time. Yeah. And, you know, I I mentioned earlier with the crash and stuff, you know, my life changed in 48 seconds. And I was blessed because I got a second opportunity to go in and forgive some people that I hadn't forgiven and ask forgiveness of people that I hadn't asked forgiveness of and to tell some people that I love them that I didn't get to tell them I loved them the day before. I got that chance. A lot of people don't. So we need to live our life every day with that knowledge that, man, this might be the last chance that I have to make this right and to do right by other people. And to, to be a blessing for other people as opposed to worry about being, a ble- being blessed ourselves, you know? Mm-hmm. Any advice, um, anything that we didn't talk about that you wanted to share, you know? Now, you know, I, really the, the thing that I hope people take when, when they hear me, me talk um, is, first of all, if 
God's willing to do some amazing things for us if we just let him. And I'm not a special person by any way at all. There's nothing special about me. I was a guy who was born in a small town to a humble family who had did not have an ideal family situation, who has messed up more things in my life. We could do we can do a four-part, four-hour series on all the things that I've messed up in life. So I'm not the one that he should have chosen. But here's the thing. He didn't, he, he, the 12 disciples that he chose when Jesus was here are not the ones that he should have chosen either. Mm-hmm. And so he can do amazing things for us and through us whenever we just allow him. And he does have a plan. And people tell me all the time, he's got a plan for you, Wade. Yeah, he, you're right. He does have a plan for me. Let me tell you something. He's got a plan for you too. And so surrender to the idea that it's not our will that matters. It's somebody else's will that does. Let him do the work. And then when you do that, there's absolutely nothing left to fear. You could live life with no fear. And that's, a, that's freedom. That's freedom. So that's what I hope people take away when they, when they hear me talk. Yeah. What a, what a beautiful message. And it's, we're here on December 6th, you know, celebrating the Christmas season. Yeah. And so I think, I think your words and your life or a gift, and they've been a gift from God. So thank you so much. And for people, I, I can imagine people are going to want to have you as a coach. I mean, do they just look up EOS? I, I looked up Wade Burzos, and mm-hmm. EOS Worldwide came up. Yeah. Your cell phone's on there, your, your email, and I'll put that in our show notes. But um, are you accepting clients? Absolutely, yeah. So I do have some slots left. Um, business has been growing fantastically, so it's, it's been really good. But uh, anybody interested could go... They can find me on LinkedIn slash Wade Berza, or they can go to www.eosworldwide.com slash Wade dash Berza. They'll find you. Yeah, I, I butchered your name, huh? Well, look, you're not the first Berza? one. To, Is it Berza? Yeah. Wade Berza. Yeah, that's okay. You're well, next time, you know, <laughs> the next person slap them in the face and say, hey. Yeah. Wade Berza, thank you for being here and for sharing your message. And, uh, God bless you. I just, I can't even imagine what's going to be unfolding in your life. So um, I'm grateful that you came and shared your heart and spirit with Discover Lafayette and our listeners. Again, I'm I'm humbled that you would ask me to come and do it. um, And I appreciate you having me. Well, thank you. But remember, it's not my story. I know. I just try my best not to screw it up. Well, I think you did pretty good. (laughs) I want to thank our listeners and, of course, our sponsors who make this show possible. First of all, Iberia Bank who is now a part of the First Horizon Banking family, Oxner Lafayette General, and of course, Raider, and in particular, Jason Sikora, who mixes our tape and makes it sound so much better than I ever could. Thank you all, and thank you for listening. This is Jan Swift. Mm-hmm.